This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The first step on the path of peace is to shift our attitudes. Translated more often than any other book except the Bible, the Tao Te Ching has been a spiritual guide for centuries, helping millions find peace within themselves, with each other, and with the natural world around them. Written in workbook style, complete with exercises, questionnaires, journal-keeping techniques, and affirmations, the Tao of Inner Peace translates the ancient Eastern philosophy into a plan for contemporary Western living. Diane Dreyer, Ph.D., shows the way to bring greater joy, fulfillment, and creativity to daily life, heal the body and spirit, build self-acceptance and self-esteem, resolve conflict, reverse negative cycles of emotion, Understand life as a process of changes and challenges. With its lively, demystifying approach, the Tao of Inner Peace shows how the Tao can be a powerful source of growth, inspiration, and peace. Valeria Tellez interviews Diane Dreyer, the author of The Tao of Inner Peace. Diane Dreyer, Ph.D., PCC, CMC, is the author of seven books, including the best-selling Tao of Inner Peace and her latest book, Your Personal Renaissance, 12 Steps to Finding Your Life's True Calling. As a certified professional coach with the International Coaching Federation, Diane helps people discover their strengths, set goals they can believe in, overcome roadblocks, and flourish in their personal and professional lives. Drawing upon insights from positive psychology and Eastern philosophy, her work helps people create new possibilities and find greater hope in challenging times. Meet Diane at dianedreyer.com. Here is the interview with Diane Dreyer. In your own words, who is Diane Drawer? Oh, okay. In my own words, on the surface, I'm a writer, I'm a college professor, a Reiki master, a professional certified coach. But beneath the surface, I'm a lifelong student. <laughs> I'm always learning. And I see life as a journey of discovery. Before we explore some of the topics related to the Tao of Inner Peace, the book you have written, I have some warm-up questions. The first one relates to 2020. What insights have you gained from the events in 2020, Diane? 
Oh my gosh. Um, 2020 has shown me why we need the wisdom of the Tao Te Ching, because the Tao shows us that we're part of a much larger process. Yin and yang, earth and sky, we are one. Mm -hmm. And people have gotten so distressed, frustrated, and polarized in 2020 politically that they see people who are different as enemies, as, you know, opponents, mm -hmm. instead of just neighbors, and we're all in this together. So we need the wisdom of the Tao. And I've seen positive examples of people, you know, a little girl in the Midwest who was making masks for her neighbors, yeah, you know, yeah. with her sewing machine. Um, <laughs> again, she's, she's showing that she's part of the larger whole. So I think 2020 has really called us to wake up to a lot of the issues, a lot of the problems and uh, challenges that surround us and to find our solutions by connecting with each other. What message would you send to those who are discriminated, to those who are being separated by force? Oh my, first of all, a lot of compassion and uh, a lot of support and I, I would say to those people who are feeling oppressed that they're not alone, that there are a lot of us who care and are trying to reach out and trying to repair the damage that's been done, and that together we need them as much as they need to become freer, more peaceful, happier, and healthier. We need their talents. Uh, if a, if a young person grows up in the inner city and doesn't have a good school to go to and grows up in a, a family that's fraught with conflict and perhaps even drugs and violence, if that young person has an opportunity to develop his or her gifts and, and make a positive difference in the world, you know, that's a gift to all of us. So I would, I would welcome these people to, to have hope and to reach out. Um, I have a short story about, about uh, people that are oppressed. I recently interviewed Jim Doty, who's a neurosurgeon at Stanford. And he grew up with his father, an alcoholic, his mother chronically depressed, was trying to commit suicide repeatedly. They had no food in the house. He, uh, he was this little boy, 12 years old. You would think he would amount to nothing. And what he did was he wandered into a strip mall, into this magic shop, and this woman named Ruth gave him lessons in meditation. She said, I'll show you real magic. And it changed his life. Uh, you know, it showed him that there are, there's more than what he had in front of him. Uh, you would think that he would be headed for, for nothing. And instead, he's become a neurosurgeon. He's founded the Center for Compassion at Stanford. He's a friend of the Dalai Lama's, and he's a most remarkable person. And I think we each have a treasure within us, even when physical situations seem to be hopeless. There's always something. So we need to reach out to each other and to seek new possibilities, you know, to seek opportunities and to realize that there are people out there like that wonderful woman, Ruth, who care and can offer, you know, uh, hope. The first thing you said was compassion. 
expand that to self-compassion. That's a powerful practice, isn't it, Diane? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Apparently, when the Dalai Lama came to this country, uh, people were saying, you know, here's this, here's this, uh, you know, loving kindness meditation that you can do. And you start with yourself, you send yourself compassion. And these people, Americans, were saying, Oh, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> said, what? what do you mean? You know, compassion, we're all one. How can you not, you know, all persons, all beings want to find joy and peace and avoid suffering? You know, can't you, can't you give that gift to yourself? So um, a lot of meditation teachers teach the loving-kindness meditation, not beginning with ourselves, because Americans have this problem, but beginning with someone you love, even a dog or a cat that you love. Mm -hmm. And then after you feel loving-kindness for your dog, then you might be able <laughs> to feel funny. a little for yourself. <laughs> That's, I know um, that doesn't make, make sense, but um, well, it's a it's a beginning, right? It's a path as well. What is not a path, yeah. really? <laughs> but it, but it's it's really a problem because a lot of us have internalized this inner critic that just beats us up and says things to us that we would never say to any of our friends or anyone. <laughs> Calls us names, so we definitely need self compassion. It's, it's part of the wholeness of life. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I wonder why is that so challenging, this practice of self-love? It's more challenging to people in the West, apparently, than it is in the East, mm -hmm. which is why the Dalai Lama did not understand people when they were telling him, what, you, you feel you know, critical and you put yourself down and you say nasty things to yourself? How can that be? Uh, because in Buddhism, uh, there's a sense of oneness, as in Taoism, as in most Eastern philosophies, and as we learn when we practice meditation. Yeah, what is the root cause of that lack of self-acceptance, of not accepting ourselves? That is a very deep question. A lot of my coaching clients come in with great, wonderful goals, and then they have this inner critic that tells them, you're not good enough, you can't do it. <laughs> uh, and a lot of times that comes from a parent who is very judgmental, or a teacher, or, or an episode with a coach, or you know something from our childhood that we've really kind of internalized and that gets triggered Whenever we reach out to try to do something that we care about, it sneaks up and ambushes us with all these negative uh, accusations. It's it's part of our past, and I think it's 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 been programmed into us. But fortunately, we can replace that programming with self compassion, and on a on a daily basis, whenever we hear the inner critic, we can just name it. And by naming it, uh, we can tame it, name it and tame it. Uh, because when we, when we say a word, it takes our brains out of that amygdala uh, stress, automatic reactive behavior and into our uh, areas of the brain that deal with verbalization with language and puts it back into the prefrontal cortex so that we're conscious, we're mindful simply by naming it, by, by, by calling it a name. So some of my uh, clients actually have 
have some pretty funny names for their inner critic, which, which again, again uh, makes it less frightening and less automatic. And then, uh, then telling themselves, of course you can do it, you know, whatever it is that, that he or she wants to do. Um, and maybe taking a, a moment to do a loving kindness meditation. So in a way, befriending the all parts of us without any judgment. Absolutely. And what's, what's interesting is that the more we do this, we make new pathways in our brains. It's like working out with weights. Every time we do that, we, we uh, name the inner critic, give ourselves self-compassion, treat ourselves as we would a dear friend. We, it's like a rep with a weight. And the more often we do that, the stronger we get. Uh, in terms of compassion, and the fainter and the weaker the voice of the inner critic becomes. Yeah. What is inner peace to you, Diane? What is inner peace has yeah. to do with what we were just discussing, self-acceptance, mm. um, being centered. And there are practices, you know, being centered wherever we are, whether we're out busy working, it, out in nature, in the garden. Uh, it's, it's a sense of being at, at one with the universe, at one with nature, at one with ourselves, and not fighting, not, seeing, not having a sense of inner conflict. Right. It's the opposite of the feeling of stress, I would mm -hmm. imagine. Do you use the words peace and calm in the same way? Oh, those states of being, of mind, are different somehow? Oh, what an interesting question. Well, I see calm as a state of relaxation. You know, being calm, sitting, sitting by, the, by the ocean, watching the waves, feeling serene. But it is possible to be centered and at peace when we're very active. I felt very peaceful on the ski slopes or training in Aikido, you know, uh, rolling around and throwing my, uh, my partners on the mat uh, because I was centered. Uh, being at peace, having a great sense of joy, I suppose. Yeah. So peace can be active or uh, contemplative. I would like to understand more, Diane, when you say centered, what does it feel like? What is like to be centered? Okay, well, to be centered is not to have our energy drained by externals. And there, um, the Tao has a lot to do with the Tao Te Ching, which is, of course, this very ancient piece of work by Lao Tzu written about 25 centuries ago, which calls people to become aware of the energies within and around them. And we're centered when our energies are focused, uh, when we're present when we're mindful, as uh, it says in Buddhism, and when we're aware of, of who we are and what we're doing. A lot of times in this country, people, people's bodies are one place and their minds are someplace else, you know, uh, which is obviously totally uncentered. I learned how to be centered when I was moving, uh, when I trained in Aikido. I find it much easier to be centered when I'm sitting in my meditation space, you know, with the door closed, with nothing bothering me. 
But uh, it's much more challenging to be centered when somebody is attacking us, either verbally or actually physically. And, and yet, um, Aikido teaches a way of centering that brings us so much strength and so much power that, for example, I would watch one of the Aikido teachers, Miki Oneida, who is about five foot two, throw men who weighed over 200 pounds easily being centered. And we have that, we all have the power to extend from our center physically when we, um, when we have the power of relaxed attention. Um, how is that gained? In Aikido, it's to stand with our feet apart, our knees slightly bent, and to breathe into our center, which is the hara, which is uh, about two inches below the navel, which is the center of power, and take a deep breath in and then release it and feel the energy of the earth flowing up through our feet, the energy flowing out through our hands. And when we are centered in that way, and it only takes a, a, a breath and, and bringing our energy back to center, we can, we can generate tremendous power. I mean, I did a Ron Dory in Aikido for my belt promotion, which, which meant that people were attacking me from all directions. A lot of times, Rondori literally in Japanese means to take chaos. Ron is chaos and Dori is to hold or to take. And these days, uh, especially during 2020 and the aftermath, a lot of us are experiencing Rondoris with multiple challenges coming at us from every direction. Right. To stay centered, to breathe into our center, and to respond dealing with one challenge at a time and not letting it throw us off balance. That, that's, uh, that's the goal. And it is possible to deal with multiple challenges as long as we stay centered. Wow. It sounds to me like a spiritual practice, which it is, right, Diane? Not a religious practice, but a spiritual one. A spiritual practice. Well, okay. Taoism uh, is, a, a, to me, a philosophy and a spiritual practice. Aikido is a physical, you know, self-defense uh, practice, but also I see it as very spiritual. And it's, it's, it's truly wonderful because in Orondori with multiple attackers, it almost feels like a dance. You know, you just sort of step off to the side and extend your ki or energy Chinese, it's qi. Japanese, it's ki, as in reiki or aikido. And just the energy flows. The, the attacker goes off in a little somersault. And it all feels exhilarating like a dance. That's centered energy in motion. It kind of reminds me of nature now. <laughs> nature is constantly moving and changing, but in, in such a graceful way. Yeah, well, because... Aikido works in cycles, in, in kind of, you know, yin and yang. A person comes at you, and then you step off the line, and in this kind of dance, uh, it's a nonviolent martial art. You're not supposed to harm your opponent. You're just supposed to blend and uh, send the person off. The seasons go through cycles. Um, in some parts of our country, it's incredibly cold, uh, you know, snow, ice, etc. And then in the spring, there's this rebirth, this resurgence. 
and the the little plants come up, the daffodils, and it's it's like a whole renewed life every year. I mean, nature is a source of such great hope and such great wisdom. And one of the reasons I I love Taoism so much is that it's based on the wisdom of nature. Right. Right. And we are not apart from nature. We are nature itself. We are. Absolutely. In fact, I think I have a little Chinese character in the Tao of Inner Peace that there's, uh, okay, the character for a human being is just this, looks kind of like a, an inverted V, run. And the character for nature are two parallel lines that uh, go across that little inverted V. So that the idea is that as human beings, we are part of nature. It's it, We're all part of the same process. You can't have nature without human beings, and you can't have human beings without nature. And one of the problems is that, again, the Western rational mind tends to separate things. So people see themselves as separate from nature, right. which yes. is very foolish. It is. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> No. And then what happens is that we don't respect nature and we trash the planet and, you know, uh, and we don't learn from the the beauty and the wisdom and the hope of nature and the cycles of nature, which teach us patience. How did you discover the Tao, Diane? Oh, that's a long story. Um, My father was in the Air Force and we were stationed in in the east, uh, in the Philippine Islands. And would uh, there were a lot of people from China who lived there, and I, I just became, as a ten-year-old child, totally fascinated with Chinese calligraphy, Chinese art, and later on when I went to college, uh, Chinese philosophy. The the idea of flow, nature, oneness, the combination of yin and yang, you know, uh, sunlight and shadow self and others. The East puts things together in a larger pattern that I think we could all benefit from. Because too often in the West, we fall into the logical fallacy of the false dilemma. You know, either or, all or nothing, win or lose. Losing sight of the larger reality that really unites us all. And this this blocks our creativity. Creativity comes from com- combining different ingredients, right? <laughs> and if, yeah, and if we can't do that, then we're stuck with either one thing or the other. Only two possibilities in a world that's filled with multiple possibilities, but we're, we're totally blinded and blocked if we fall into the either or. So I love Eastern philosophy because, because it, it's both and, because it is self and other. And because it, it combines multiple perspectives and multiple talents, and I think offers us hope for, for greater personal and political harmony on many levels. Yes, I agree. It embraces it all, right? To find the harmony, that, to go back to that dance, <laughs> or to keep dancing. To me, that's what life is all about, really. This, um, yeah, not taking one side or the other, but learning to dance within just yep. be in the middle and just accept everything as it comes and uh 
and embracing them with wisdom? That's a good question for you. Do you think it's possible <laughs> to achieve that in a lifetime? I think it's possible to approach that in a lifetime. But I think that as long as we're alive, we're living and growing as everything is in nature. And everything is dynamic. You know, the Tao teaches uh, the wisdom of dynamic balance so that you can you can be balanced if you're standing still. <laughs> Life doesn't stand still. <laughs> True. So to be balanced and flow mm -hmm. and be recognize that, you know, today is different from tomorrow and everything is process. And what's the lesson of today? How can I be balanced in this day, this time? Uh, blending with these energies that I that I see before me and within me. So I think it, it just continues all the time. Some of the wisest people I know, um, I met Linus Pauling one time years ago when I was in college, and he was, you know, this wise old man with this wild uh, white hair you know, and, and blazing blue eyes. And he had this incredible energy. And he said, you know, his life as a scientist was was a continual state of discovery. And okay, two Nobel Prizes, <laughs> I can see. But just that, you know, that he wasn't finished learning, I think, uh, until the last day of his life. That's, I, he's, he's a wonderful role model. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I was very inspired by his spirit. So in chapter 19, you quote the Tao Te Ching. You say, I hold three treasures close to my heart. The first is love. The second is simplicity. And the third is overcoming ego. So two questions for you, Diane. I'll ask the first one. What is love to you? Oh my gosh, what a beautiful question. Love is, to me, and it's the energizing creative power of the universe. It's all of life. It's a sense of inspiration. When we're in love, romantic love, we feel connected to something more than ourselves. We feel connected with the person that we love. When we feel a sense of inspiration, whether it's poetry or religion or nature, we feel connected to something greater than ourselves. Yeah. And uh, for Dante, medieval poet, uh -huh. he believed that love was the, the force that moves the sun and the other stars, mm. that inspires and guides us through life. So that to me is what love is. And my other question is about the ego. Talk to me about the ego or what the ego is the ego is the part of ourselves that creates a sense of identity personal identity and there's nothing wrong with the ego we all need a sense of personal identity but one of the problems with the ego is that that make it makes us feel like that's all there is yeah true and it separates us from everything else and to some degree from everyone else I have heard false self. That's another way of saying that. But then when we talk about this idea of integration, embracing all opposites in all parts of us, the ego doesn't become, it's not a problem. It doesn't represent an issue, right, Diana? 
it's something to be embraced as well, perhaps transformed, but also embraced. Yeah, it's it's a part, you know. Right. And the Tao shows us that, you know, there is yin, but there is also yang. Right. <laughs> so right. so um, we don't exist alone in isolation. No human being does. I mean, I used to ask my students in my classes, you know, how many people have touched your life today? And well, uh, did you make your shoes? Did you did you make your clothes? You know, uh, who brought you your food? Uh, where did you get? You know, again, we're connected to all different forms of life, to nature, which provides us with the food we eat, to the people who've made our shoes and our clothes, to the people who built our houses and. Uh, Everything that we use, our cars, our computers, our phones, uh, we're, we're, we're always connected. Our, you know, we have this myth of American individualism, but uh, we're more than individuals. We have to be. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? What it is to be free. Oh, what a great question. <laughs> okay. Uh, I believe that we're all essentially free in the way that Abraham Maslow talked about self-actualization. We're given certain strengths, whether it's, you know, you're explaining this by religion or heredity or whatever, uh, and we're free to explore and to use our strengths and and to, to flourish by discovering who we really are. So freedom is discovering who we are and uh, sharing who we are and sharing our gifts with the world. Mm. And that brings us a sense of joy and meaning. Yeah. So I guess it's freedom to, uh, to become our most, uh, our, our wisest selves, our, our most uh, fulfilled selves, and our most connected selves. Made me think about some answers I get about uh, the purpose of life. In a way, you answered that question, too. What is the purpose of the human experience? Yeah. And if just imagine if everyone around us had the opportunities, and I think it's the role of government, actually, to, to help people find opportunities to make education accessible um, so that it's to give people just the opportunity to develop their their strengths. We would have so much creativity. We would have so much resourcefulness and ingenuity because all these people would be would be using their strengths. Yeah. You know, engineers, scientists, doctors, artists, painters, poets, uh, you know, teachers, everyone. Uh, and and our whole world would be better. Right. So that when we become you know, when we fulfill our individual purpose, we also contribute to the greater purpose of, of all humanity and of all nature, because we'd have environmentalists who would be finding better ways that we could live in harmony with nature. How do we know when we are we have found our purpose? What are the signs? Oh, okay. Back to energy. When, uh, when we find our purpose, when we, when we are doing something that really connects with our deepest sense of self, 
we feel a great sense of energy and joy and meaning. Uh, and when we're doing something that goes against the grain, uh, literally, if you work with wood and go against the grain, you get splinters in your fingers. But it hurts when it goes against the grain. Uh, or at the very least, it feels boring and frustrating and low energy. So I think to, to be aware of our energies, uh, what brings us energy? What brings us joy? That's where we find our purpose. Yeah. And of course, one person's purpose is very different from someone else's. True. Yeah, we are all unique. So true. Yeah, yeah. Some, some of my friends in college loved mathematics. They thought it was just great and creative. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, <laughs> well, really? And my roommate thought that literature was very, very, very difficult and uh, confusing. And I loved literature. And I thought, hmm, we have different gifts. <laughs> yes, right. That's what it is, Faelin. We're all yeah. unique with different messages to deliver here in a human body, right? Different messages and different strengths. And when we connect with our, our, our personal message and strength, we feel that, that real bolt of energy flowing through us. So in your book, you say the first step on the path of peace is to shift our attitudes. Talk to me for a moment about perception, Diane. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> to shift our attitudes, our attitudes are also energy. We are energy incarnate. And perception, I think that goes back to uh, yin and yang. Yeah. Uh, to be able to see the larger patterns within and around us, to see the larger patterns in our lives. When, uh, when we're stuck in an either-or situation, uh, we feel trapped and we're diminished. When we see yin and yang, sunlight and shadow, creative energy, uh, then, then, we, uh, then we find new solutions. So perception makes a major difference. And I think one way that, that we human beings can solve our problems is by expanding our perception. So in some of my workshops, I, I ha ask people to uh, look at a list of opposites and find the larger whole that encompasses them both. So for example, earth and sky, well, what is that? The, the landscape or sound and silence which is music, because music obviously has periods of silence, rests, etc. It's not just one constant sound. Listening and speaking, that's communication. There can't be communication if you're just speaking all the time and not listening. Yeah. And uh, mm. one, it was funny though, because I, I do this uh, night and day, you know, are part of the, the cycle of of, uh, of a given day period. So I said, night and day. And one of my uh, participants said, work. <laughs> work right. thought, oh my gosh, this poor guy. Okay. <laughs> because right. he's working night and day. Yeah, um, right. But apparently that was what his life looked like <laughs> at the time. But so it can be very humorous too. But yeah. to find the larger whole that, that incorporates, you know, both presumed opposites and that that expands our perception helps us think more creatively uh, and 
solve problems. I have a, a little story about lemons uh, that kind of illustrates this, that if you have a group of people and they're going off to a, a cabin up in the mountains and they stop at the grocery store on the way up and then, you know, they're going to have a retreat together. And so two of them are out in the kitchen making dinner and one person is making a lemon poppy seed cake and the other person is making lemon chicken. And they both reach for the one lemon on the counter and they each need one lemon. So perception, they can fight over the lemon, uh, either or, and one of their recipes would suffer or all or nothing, right? Or they can cut the lemon in half, which is a compromise. And then they have two recipes that were half as good as they could have been. Or they could listen to each other and say, what do you need? for your recipe. And one person needs the lemon zest, the grated outside rind of the lemon for the cake. And the person making the uh, lemon chicken needs the lemon juice. So great. One person grates the outside of the lemon, puts it in the cake recipe, the other person and then hands the lemon to the other person who squeezes the juice and both win. Perception, listening, seeing things more deeply can get us through a lot of conflict. In chapter 17, you have, you quote the Tao Te Ching. He says, the best people are like water. They benefit all things and do not compete with them. They settle in low places, one with nature, one with Tao. So when it says low places, that's the only part that I didn't understand. They settle in low places. What does it mean exactly? Oh, okay, in the valley. So if you've got a river or a waterfall, the water goes down and it flows. Right, right. <laughs> in fact, and it settles in low places, uh, mm. you know, just geographically low, not, not in any right. so, sense of Energetic. negativity. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not low energy. It's just, you know, the water flows into the lake. And actually then what's really amazing about the water um, the Tao has a lot of references to water, the strength of water that uh, is gentle and nurturing yet can cut through solid rock, making like, for example, the Grand Canyon, <laughs> the Colorado River. Uh, it can do that, but also the water flows in a cycle. So the um, water benefits all things, flows down into low places, goes into lakes and rivers, and then goes beneath the earth into underground lakes called aquifers. And then, of course, people drill wells, pull the water back up again. And then um, the water evaporates from the lakes, goes up into the sky and comes down as rain. So it's just this eternal cycle. And one of my friends told me when I was writing this book, did you know that we're, we're drinking the same water that the dinosaurs drank? There's only a certain amount of water on the planet. And we're like this big terrarium where the water flows up again to the clouds and then rains down and goes all, all the way around in the cycles of nature, the cycles of Tao. I love that comparison, though. I guess what I didn't understand was the uh, when it comes to people, yeah, the settling in low places, what would that represent? Would that be going deeper? Yeah, going deeper and also um, transcending ego. Not being, not being really full of oneself. Yep. 
because if, if a person feels like he or she knows it all, then that person can learn nothing. And that person very often can't listen to somebody else. So the Tao, water is a symbol of humility, you know, uh, which is different from low self-esteem. <laughs> low self-esteem is not healthy. Humility is just being, being centered and being natural and not trying to show off. Being sincere and being authentic, you know, uh, being centered in the here and the now uh, with whatever's happening. You mentioned my body is not the center. I am not my cause. Talk to me for a moment about that. We are, we limit ourselves if we think of ourselves as only our positional power, you know, uh, our physical body only, our uh, role in a family, or our role at work, because we're always more than that. You know, our definitions limit us and, again, take us away from the wholeness of all that we, we are and all that we can be. So that's what it means, really, um, this understanding, this deeper understanding of who we are. This deeper understanding of who we are and, and the fact that we are continuing to evolve and, and become who we really are as we, as we live and grow and become more aware and discover more each day and gain greater wisdom. So I have these ending questions, but before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Well, let's see. I have a passage in my book that uh, I, I think is actually a kind of humorous uh, because one of the things, one of the challenges we need to face today is our, is our connection with nature and to realize that we're all part of the larger whole. So there is, in the way of nature, a part of my book, there's a little passage about uh, something that happened when people have only a partial knowledge and they don't see the larger picture. So in the 1950s, the World Health Organization tried to eliminate malaria in northern Borneo, and they sprayed this pesticide, Dildrum, to kill the mosquitoes carrying the disease. And initially, the people congratulated themselves. They said, oh, good, this is a great success. Not only did the mosquitoes and malaria disappear, but villagers were no longer bothered by flies and cockroaches. But then the roofs of their houses began falling in on them, and they faced the threat of a typhus epidemic. Why? Because hundreds of lizards died from eating the poisoned insects. Then the local cats died from eating the lizards. Without the cats, the rats ran rampant through the village, carrying typhus-infested fleas on their bodies. And then, to add insults to injury, the village's thatch, thatched roofs were collapsing because the spray had killed wasps and other insects, which ordinarily ate the caterpillars that fed on the thatched roofs. So the Tao Te Ching teaches that everything in life is interconnected, a lesson that the World Health Organization needed to learn, uh, and then they they recognized that you know they need to look at all the interconnected intricacies of life when they deal with a problem, and we need to learn, I think, and are learning more each day about the fact that we are all interconnected, and that everything one person does affects so many other people. That is our strength. It can be our problem. 
but I think it's uh, ultimately it's our future, that recognition of our interconnectedness. And hopefully our roofs will not fall in on us to a awareness of that fact. True. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll say it the way I say it. I don't think we need more knowledge. We do need a lot more wisdom, isn't it? Oh, what a beautiful insight. Yes. There are, there are different, there's information and we've got lots of information coming at us from all directions, like a big Ronduri. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is, is a way of putting together information, but knowledge is not wisdom, <laughs> which is the point that you made. And what we need is wisdom. So my final question is to you. How do you define success these days, Diane? What is to be successful to you? Well, to be successful, not just on the surface, I mean, our culture defines success in terms of materialism. But to be successful by feeling a sense of purpose and meaning and joy in whatever we're doing, by feeling connected. I, I believe that, yeah, feeling a sense of fulfillment, feeling a sense of joy, feeling a sense of connection with the larger patterns of life, that to me is success. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I would probably spend more time doing the things that bring me a sense of joy and meaning yeah. and try to do less of the things that are just mm -hmm. a, a waste of energy and a waste of time. We can apply wisdom to that too, right? Knowing. Oh, yeah. Knowing what brings us joy, energy, meaning, knowing when we're centered and on the path, and knowing when we're just, you know, being distracted. Yeah. Being silly, although being silly yeah. is good. And then the last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Three things about life that I know for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, one is that we're part of nature and that uh, we, like nature, are constantly growing and evolving. So that's two. And three, that life is full of surprises. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, thank you so much again for your peaceful presence, your timeless wisdom, for being aware of your purpose. And everything that you do is just beautiful. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you write, it's right there in that center of the heart, as I call it. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay. Um, I have two websites. One of them is northstarpersonalcoaching.com because I believe that we each have our own North Star to guide us and that that helps us find our direction. So NorthStarPersonalCoaching.com. And then I have my author website, which is Diane Dreher, D-I-A-N-E-D-R-E-H-E-R.com, which has listings of all my books. Beautiful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Bye for now, Diane. 
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Diane Dreyer and her work, please visit dianedreyer.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.